everyone's got a Bible, it'd be great. It's also a great time to make sure your phone is silenced. So the title of this message is Eternally Fulfilled. And as we look around at the world around us today, especially in Chiang Mai, and I see of uh, all the things taking place, I think this is such an important message today. Um, you know, we're going to continue in John. And John is walking through, teaching us again who Jesus is, who we each are also in Jesus, and how all of these things take place. Last week's message, for those of you that were here, pointed us to John chapter 3, verse 30. I want to read that for you real quick. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So the question comes from last week is, how has this week been? Has Jesus become greater and greater each day? And have you became less and less? Is that how you describe your week? How's it been? Maybe some moments for me, not all of them. It's actually been a rough week for me. Now I can see why. But, you know, the real question I think that for my heart after looking at that last week is God becoming greater, Jesus becoming greater. Are we pointing people to Jesus? We talked about that last week. We need to be pointing people to Jesus. It's great if they want to come to refuge, but there's a lot of great churches out there. There's a lot of great pastors. We need to point them to Jesus and then make sure that they can find a place that they can fellowship. And so that was one of the main points of last week's message is continually point them not to a person, not to a pastor, not to a church, but to Jesus, and then make sure they are being discipled, whatever that looks like. So this week's been very, very busy for me. Um, we had an incredible Thanksgiving service. Thank you all that uh, helped, all that participated in that. I was just so blessed to see how Jesus is working here and just using you all in the different gifts. You know, as we had this Thanksgiving service, I was amazed as one of the ladies walked in the door, and you can see on her face, she was a mess. Uh, she was on the struggle bus, as I've said. She was just, she's like, I'm not even sure what was going on with her, but she was having a real difficult time, something outside. I still don't actually know. But she, I, we looked at her, and she said, I made it. You know, I've had all these things happen during the day. I made it. I just needed to get through enough that I could arrive here at church and just get here. And for her, on Thanksgiving service, it was a place of refuge where she could put all the things of the world outside, just come in, set it all aside, all of it, and just worship Jesus. And it was just amazing to me. I mean, I was so blessed to hear that. Because we each, as a body, we're in obedience um, to do that, to worship together. We are a family, and we do that we worship God through uh, hymns, uh, through singing spiritual songs. I was trying to think how to put that, you know, because not all the songs we sing are hymns, <laughs> other spiritual songs. We do that through the study of his word. We do that through taking communion, fellowship, or breaking bread with each other. And that was an amazing time, Thanksgiving service. Thank you all uh, for our first Thanksgiving service. There's many of us, I think, that um, as we left that service especially, and maybe others had other services, as the day closed up, I'm sure that heart of thanksgiving was on our minds. Um, hopefully that our worries were less as our focus uh, turned back to Jesus and remembered that God is greater than all these things. And when I have thanksgiving or gratitude in my heart, that usually is the result that God does become greater and I become less. So again, thank you. I hope you guys had a great thanksgiving. I know it's an American holiday, but I think it's a great holiday. It's my favorite one. So let's dig in this week and let's look at John chapter 4. We're going to break a record here. You ready for this? 42 verses today. What? All right, get ready. John chapter 4. 
Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize him. His disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way, eventually came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. So this story is a continuation as Jesus and the disciples now are traveling north. Now, why they did this, maybe Jesus knew, the religious leaders knew that he was baptizing a lot of people, and maybe that would start to cause some problems. We know there was that discussion if he was how he was doing, if he was doing it right. That discussion, that outbreak started the week, the couple of days before. But we just read that as they're traveling, they traveled through Samaria, and as they traveled north to Galilee, um, he said that he had to go. If you look at the scripture, or that maybe some of your versions say he needed to go. So I think that's probably more likely that Jesus had a divine appointment to share with the people that he was going to meet. I don't think it was as much as that he left because of the people that were starting to argue about the baptism and what was taking place. So again, Jesus and the disciples have been walking all morning. They've arrived now at the heat of the day at what's called Jacob's Well. Now, Jesus, I like this part because Jesus experienced what it was to be human, to be a man. As we read, he was tired from the journey, yet he still walked in a world sinless. It's a great point, I think. Let's continue, verses 7 through 8. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. A meeting takes place here, we read about. As this woman is introduced to the story, think about what was taking place there. You know, how often, I'll just take a point here. Think about our world today. How often do you hear, even in, uh, say, missionary culture, that we need to always respect the culture we're in? It's a very common saying. I hear it all the time. But what did Jesus just do here already in this situation? He broke all the rules. I mean, like, not a little bit. He broke all the rules. It was not appropriate in any which fashion for Jesus even to talk to this woman. He broke the cultural norm. He broke the rules. And we hear it all the time, you know, respect the culture, respect the culture. I think we've got to be careful with this. I'm not saying in this story that a man should be alone with a strange woman. Okay? I'm not saying that. But, you know, saying, ah, sharing the gospel with her. Could happen. But I'm saying that Jesus commonly upset the accepted culture to share with the lost. Did this very often in the gospels. So Jesus and this woman, they're alone together at this well. And Jesus asked her for a drink. Simply, I'm sure, because he was very thirsty, as it said. So let's go to verse 9. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? This woman was a little bit confused. I think even maybe, maybe we could say caught off guard as Jesus is asking her this. 
But she's quick, isn't she? She's pretty, she's a witty woman, I think. She's quick to respond. And in her answer, I purposely said it that way, there's an undertone. It's commonly accepted. There's a little bit of an undertone. Why are you asking me for a drink? I can imagine this situation as we were talking about as we often go down to the moat and evangelize. And some of the ladies that we evangelize to, we would walk up to them and we first see them and we're like, they're like, how can we help you? The ladies say, right? A little bit of undertone. And then we asked, how can we bless them? Do they need any clothes? Probably likely. Do they need any food? Do Is there any way that we can pray for them? Then suddenly the tone changes, actually usually pretty positively with most of the people there. And so I can imagine this kind of taking place with this as the tone kind of changed. So Jesus is going to respond to her in verse 10. Let's see what he's got to say. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. What just an amazing, truthful statement. One that should burden all of your hearts and it burdens my hearts. If you only knew the gift that God has for you. Just ponder that. Do you see the lost in this way? Is that what's on your heart? If you only knew who Jesus was and how much he loves you. Do you pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal this to the lost when you see them? I also, as I read these verses, I saw Jesus' words here. He says, you would ask me and I would give you living water. The gift is there, right? It's waiting. It just has, have you here even? Have you asked? Have you received that gift? This woman here, she believes she has something that Jesus needs. In fact, Jesus had everything that she needed. What will she say? Let's look at verses 11 through 12. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where will you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? She doesn't quite understand. They're trying to explain spiritual things with a physical, physical worldly understanding. She didn't, she didn't get it. But then she challenges Jesus. What do you think? Are you greater? She believes that she, again, she believes that she has what Jesus needs. So she remains engaged in a conversation. So Jesus, again, he's going to try to explain to this woman about living water in verses 13 and 14. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. I love, I always see Jesus' character in conversations he's having with people. Loving, merciful, gracious. He's continuing to share, to explain to this woman 
some very deep spiritual truths. Explaining these truths that the physical things of the world will never satisfy. Then he speaks a wonderful truth. Anyone who receives this living water will never thirst again, but also will be continually refreshed and renewed and receive eternal life. Who wouldn't want this living water? I'm sure all of us do. I did. So do you think as Jesus is explaining this to her, do you think she's starting to understand what Jesus is talking about? Let's see. Verse 15. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. So she now desires, it kind of changes a little bit, right? Now she's desiring what Jesus is offering. But she's still very misunderstood what Jesus is offering. So Jesus, she's still believing that Jesus is speaking of worldly things. Now she's excited. She's thinking that Jesus could provide this physical water, the physical things for her. Now, that could be true in a sense. Jesus does provide for our physical needs at times. But Jesus wants to give her and everyone else so much more than these physical things. As we look at this, I think there is something in the way of her understanding what Jesus was trying to share with her. Let's look at Jesus' answer to the request that she gave when she said, give me this water. Look at verses 16 through 18. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. A shocker. That's what my Kiwi friend would always say, a shocker. Imagine this conversation with Jesus. I just imagine this. Rebukes her with her sins that to her knowledge, he couldn't have known. Yet he rebukes her with the things that she was hiding inside. If she was to receive this living water that Jesus was freely giving, her sin did need to be confronted in her life. She needed to know. Can you imagine this taking place? I mean, this meeting of two people and a stranger calling your darkest sins out to you. Can you imagine? That would be, I mean, to her, I'm sure this is probably the most embarrassing thing. Just meeting someone, they're calling out your sins. What do you think she was going to do after Jesus has said this? I mean, what would you do if you're having this spiritual conversation with someone and they just rebuke you of your darkest sin? Let's see. Let's look at verses 19 all the way through through 26. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem... She's changed the subject. I want you to know that. Completely changed the subject. It's the only place of worship. While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gizim. I'm not sure how to say that one. Where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman. Now, I want to stop right there because how he says, Dear woman, I looked that up. It's interesting. When we were talking weeks ago and and... He was talking to his mother about you know, making wine. Same one. 
Same word. So it's, it's a respect, dear woman. It actually, they add the dear. But it's a resp- he's talking respectfully to her after he's called her out. Dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know little about the one you worship. Why, we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Jesus boldly, boldly, boldly comes out and just says, I am. One of the I am statements. Jesus, again, he's gone against culture. He's gone against these false beliefs. And he's saying the truth of who he is. He says, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The time in this story, and I believe for many of us, is time to set all the excuses behind. This woman kind of changed changed it. It's like, no more excuses. No more. She was so concerned with maybe how a person should worship or where they should worship, right? A lot of times, like, you invite people to church today, they start asking these questions, right? Instead of just making excuses why they can't go, you know, or maybe inside a church, you say, oh, do you go to this church or that church? And they start these discussions. The question is, do you go to church? I mean, they're like, oh, once always saved, or go to Baptist, or you go to Charismatic. Do you go to church? That's the most important question. And the same with this woman. It was time. I think there's a time where, like this woman, it's time to truly come to faith and simply believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Now, I, get, I read this, and at some point, for me, it came to a point when I read the word of God, I simply believe that God's word is true. I'm not always trying to explain how God is God. Jesus asked us to worship him here in spirit and truth. You know, I believe, as we look at this, and this woman, she was seeking all these things, and so many of us, including me, have sought the things of the world. Jesus is what the world is seeking. Sorry, let me say it right. Jesus is what the world is truly looking for, even though they're seeking the things of the world. They don't even know it. They seek all these things of the world, but Jesus is the answer to all of that. We really need to stop causing so much division among our brothers and sisters. I think so many of us need, you know, I'm really speaking to me, we need just to turn to Jesus up and, and worship him as it's shown here in these verses. Let's look at verse 27. Just then, the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? Again, Jesus, he'd broken all the cultural rules. The disciples were acting probably as most of us probably would act. I mean, if you imagine yourself in this story, coming up, this is awkward, a little bit awkward. They're not really concerned with the lost or this woman knew knew Jesus, but they really were concerned that this 
could get out. It could offend someone. It could make them all look bad. It could like stop this movement. They were really, I believe, in this situation, only concerned with their personal views or what this would look like. They're standing there, dumbfounded, like wondering what's taking place here. So let's see what's going to happen next. Verse 28 through 30. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people come streaming from the village to see him. You know, as I see this, I I like that line is in verse 28. The woman left her water jar and it says, telling everyone, right here, 29. Yeah, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. I just imagine the people's faces as she's telling these people that. I mean, you just imagine, this guy told me everything I did. And they're like, wow. I don't know. I imagine, I always try to put myself in this story. But again, it, it doesn't look good that Jesus was alone with this woman at the well. And the disciples have came back. They're wondering what's going on. And then what happens? She runs off and leaves her stuff there. This story is not looking any better. I can imagine the thoughts of the disciples. What was taking place here? Why would, why would this happen? He's alone with a woman. They show up. She takes off, leaves her stuff. I don't know. What, what was really happening though? We know what was really happening in this story. She was coming to faith in Jesus and she was running away to go tell everyone else about Jesus. But boy, you sure would have got a different picture if you saw that from the outside, wouldn't you? I love hearing from a person that's just encountered Jesus. It's just, it's so amazing as they go out and they run out to the world, ignorant and blessfully so, to share the love of Jesus that they've experienced. And as they go out and they testify of the amazing hope that they've received through their faith in Jesus. It's amazing to see a new believer as they just run out and start telling everyone about Jesus. It's really neat to watch. It's kind of funny, but I'm actually blessed because it always encourages me. And uh, it's really neat when you see someone's life just transformed and they're just out there. And some of the stuff they say, you're like, well, but it's all right. The Holy Spirit honors that. But So this story is going to transition a minute. Let's look at verses, just for a time here, look at verses 31 through 33. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Now, the disciples, I think, were concerned about Jesus. Maybe even they're thinking he's a little bit delusional from hunger and tired. I mean, if you think back to the beginning of the story, Jesus had stopped there to rest, sent the disciples on because he was tired, and said, go get some food, and then return back. So it seems, you know, they probably were actually maybe concerned. Maybe he really wasn't feeling well. But what's interesting is you look at this, they were more concerned still, the disciples, they do this all the time, they were more concerned with worldly things than to understand deeper spiritual truths. Um, I don't know if their focus was really wrong, but they just didn't understand what was really taking place. And inside of this is the disciples are looking at this picture, seeing one thing, but another thing was happening. A great revival was getting ready to take place, but all they saw was Jesus alone with a woman and needed food. What a lesson for all of us. When our focus is on the worldly things around us, we miss what was taking place with Jesus and what he was doing. 
there was a revival beginning right there, and it was about to take place, and these disciples, all they could think about was food, and Jesus hanging out with this lady. That's all they saw. Yet a great revival was getting ready to take place because they were focused on the worldly things. Jesus has so much to teach us. Let's, let's look at 34 through 38. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me, and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvester are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. There's a lot there. Probably teach two sermons on that. But I just want to start with one question. What truly sustains you? I mean, there's so many Christians, I think they, they face burnout. And I'm guilty. What truly sustains you? And as I look at that, and I still struggle with that in my own life, like this week, what sustains me? There's many times we were so busy, I didn't even have time to eat. Uh, I, I just c- couldn't get time. I, I like to work out and get my own time. It's like when I go running, I can you know, pray, and I can just kind of gather my thoughts. That didn't happen much this week. So what, re- this good things, right? These aren't bad things, but what really sustains you? Because that's not it. It goes back to the question he asked, are you doing the will of the Father? That's a real question. No matter where you are, and that's a rebuke to many of you, because I see so many here in Chiang Mai now that are here because they got stuck here from wherever you're from, or you're here because um, whatever reason, you're like, well, actually, I'm supposed to be here, and I'm supposed to be here, and that's us too, right? Because we got we came here out of Myanmar. I don't care where you are, you're still to continue to do the will of the Father. And if you're here for this season, get to work. Maybe you'll be gone next month. I don't know. But until then, do the will of the Father. And that's what will sustain you if you are doing that. So Jesus, he's speaking. He's teaching the disciples. But as we know, as he's teaching these disciples, he's teaching us. The lost, as he's talking, as he's preaching to them, the lost were heading towards Jesus, right? Remember, she went back. They were walking towards Jesus to the well. They were heading towards Jesus. They wanted to hear the truth. Also, look at verse 38. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. I think this is Chiang Mai. There's a lot of new people in the room today. There's some that's been around here a long time, but I think this is Chiang Mai. There's a lot of people seeking answers right now. We, every time we go out, people, we invite people to church, they come. I think this is Chiang Mai. And it's a difficult situation as you look at it. Um, you know, I spent a lot of, we spent a lot of time in Myanmar standing in front of a camera and, uh, my family. <laughs> and that was the church. But we were faithful. And we come here and people are just pouring in and they're hunger, they're hungry. Churches have been closed. Some are opening back up. Praise the Lord. Others have not. I think we have to, listen to this story and make sure and apply it to our situation here because I think there's a lot of people that's heard the gospel. There's a lot of people, their hearts are getting softened, the Holy Spirit's working. So let's get out there. If you are to be part of this harvest, which is an amazing privilege, 
What an amazing privilege. We must get out and gather the harvest. We need to not be like the disciples who are just looking at these worldly things in this situation. And we need to open our eyes to the spiritual things taking place. And we need to stop looking at all these things of the world around us and at these physical things and start looking out into the city because a harvest is coming here. I believe a revival is coming to Chiang Mai. It's going to happen in a lot of places, but we're here. So we're going to do the will of the Father while we're here. Let's look at the last few verses, 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in the village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. This woman, she introduced people to Jesus. She went to the village, to the city. You gotta, you gotta see this guy. You gotta meet this guy. She went, she evangelized him. But then the Holy Spirit did what we cannot do. Jesus spoke to them and then they believed. This revival began with this woman running to the people and sharing and testifying what Jesus had done in her life. She stopped questioning finally, right? We saw all these questions, this back and forth conversation. Finally, she stopped it all and she just believed. And then she ran and testified to the people. And then the people heard the testimony. And then they ran and they sought out Jesus and sought out the truth. Through her testimony, many people came to know the Lord, Jesus as Lord and Savior. Again, it wasn't her that did it, but it was the Holy Spirit that did it. This uh, Saturday morning, I was blessed to hear a wonderful testimony at the men's breakfast. And as most testimonies, as they should, we hear about Jesus. And we hear how Jesus fills that void in our hearts. That even sometimes as believers, we can experience at times. Before Jesus, and even sometimes now, we try to satisfy that void in our hearts with the things of the world. Just like this woman had done. That was my testimony. I personally believed that if I came to a certain point in my personal life, my career, or my physical stuff, that I would be happy. That that void would be gone. That I would have peace. And that these worldly things would allow me to be the person that I believed I should be. Because I wasn't that person. I knew that much. So I chased hard. I worked hard. And after many, many years in my life, I came to a point where I was married to a beautiful wife. I had some amazing children. I had a successful business. I had a big house. Even had a white picket fence, because that's what you got to do if you're in America. Then I had a, even a yellow lab and a golden retriever dog. Had it all. Had everything that I had ever worked for and I had ever dreamed about in my life. Yet, none of it filled that void in my heart. Didn't work. I was actually worse off than I was before. Because... I now lost hope in ever having peace and joy in my heart because I did it. I got all them things. Jesus explains this so well in this story. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. I would never, ever be satisfied and have peace and joy from the things of this world. And I had. I had come to a place of complete surrender at that point in my life. I knew that no matter how hard I worked, 
I couldn't fix that hole in my heart. Get your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. That's what I had done. It was then that I came before Jesus and cried out, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it anymore. Something forever changed that day in my life. I knew peace from that point forward. I knew joy from that point forward. I knew Jesus as my Lord. I believed in Jesus before, but he wasn't my Lord. He became my Lord that day. So Jesus, he did so much more. He didn't just fill that void that was in my heart, though. There's so much more. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. I'm renewed each day by his grace, flowing through me as this living water each and every day. But it was so much more than just fixing the hurt that I experienced. It was an outpouring of his spirit, a fresh bubbling spring within me each day. This is why I stand right here before you today. I pray that every person I meet in this room, out of this room, would know how much Jesus loves them. Turn back to John, chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. It's Jesus who quenches our thirst. It's Jesus who fulfills us spiritually, and never ever again do we have to be hopeless. Jesus offers this gift of eternal life through placing your faith in him, turning from the world, turning from your sin. Cry out to Jesus. Place your faith in him, and you will have living water. I want to close with a verse in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 44, 1-5. But now, listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. The Lord who made you and helps you says, Don't be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, or O dear Israel, my chosen one. For I will pour out water to quench your thirst, to irrigate your parched fields. And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. They will thrive like watered grass and willows on a riverbank. Some will proudly claim, I belong to God. Others will say, I am a descendant of Jacob. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands and will take the name of Israel as their own. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we read this story about this woman and we see how you came alongside her, Lord, and continued to discuss with her and share with her who you were, as she questioned and as you confronted her sin in her life and as you tried to change the subject, you came back to her again, Lord. And through your Holy Spirit, she came to a point of surrender and she believed. And then in her belief and her faith, Lord, she ran to others, Lord, and testified who Jesus is. And Jesus knew everything about her. And Jesus knew everything about her and still loved her. I thank you for loving me. As you know, every single thing I've ever done and every single thing I still will do. But yet, Lord, you gave your life for me. You loved us that much, Lord. Lord, I pray, I know there's some here today that don't know you as their Lord 
and Savior that have not experienced what it is to have this living water within you, bubbling up, grace overpoured. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them now, Lord, convict them. Convict them and share the truth of who you are. That they would turn from the world, turn from their sins, Lord, and turn to you. And Lord, as we're here, many of us, Lord, as, as believers, ones that have believed, Lord, I pray that our, our eyes would be lifted up, they would be cleared spiritually, Lord, and we'd stop looking at the things around us, Lord. And Lord, we'd look out and see the harvest is upon us. There's many people here in this city who are just waiting, waiting to be invited to church, waiting for someone to walk up and share the gospel, waiting for someone to explain what a Christian is, who Jesus is, Lord. So Lord, I pray that we'd go out of here looking at this lesson and be reminded you've called us. The seed has been sown. The time of harvest is upon us. So Lord, please, through your Holy Spirit, show each one of us how we can be a part of that. Each of us have different gifts, different parts to play. There's a lot of different parts in a harvest. Lots of different parts. But show each one of us, Lord, how we can be a part of what you are doing here. Let us always point them to you, Lord. So, Lord, please empower, continue to empower your people, Lord, and continue just to refresh us anew, Lord, that we'd stop looking at the things of the world and continue to look towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.